And introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing the original dirtbags of punk rock, it's the Cramps. Part of the bleeding edge of the punk scene started in 1976, where other punk acts burned out or faded away. The duo of Lux Interior and Poison Ivy kept their unique brand of camp psychobilly sleaze going for over 20 more years. Today we're going to be learning all about them through Dick Porter's definitive journey to the center of the cramps. Woohoo! But first, let's introduce our own guest. He's a guitarist for Brooklyn group The Advertisers. It's Casey Hopkins. Oh, hello there. Hello. You know, because I'm a very adjective forward writer, I, I it feels very naked for me to just say the Brooklyn group the cramps it would have to be like the the, 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 Brooklyn the average- sleaze rock or the brooklyn oh, yeah. uh, uh blues fusion combo fusion what <laughs> adjective would you put before uh the uh advertisers oh uh totally blusion i think that's <laughs> blusion yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're going by now yeah uh, no just just rock and roll music it's just rock and roll music that's what it is that's very that's it's a very crampsy and- rock and roll music that's yeah. what it is yeah great that's a very crampsy way of putting it mm-hmm. don't don't uh uh, don't name it, just claim it. Yeah. I believe uh, one of them said it's not, you know, a, a lo-fi uh, vapor gaze. Uh, Visceral. Technically, we're a shoegaze band. That's what uh, we're <laughs> There's some gazing. Uh, yeah, when you shoes. when you registered with the uh, the Brooklyn uh, the band authority, we had to. Yeah. We, had, we had to go to the people from Dive to actually ah! to play live. <laughs> they sit in a you know. The, <laughs> We they sit with cloaks on their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're sitting on like high chairs and like <laughs> candlelit rooms. Who dares? But it's like all distorted. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and they have a reverb pedal that just makes the sound. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go up and press the single giant reverb. <laughs> anyway, Casey, you suggested the cramps to us. Yes. Uh, obviously, I mean, the cramps are people that I am aware of and would was eager to do. I mean, I, I was certain that they had a interesting story, but uh, w- what about the cramps uh, speaks to you and, and made you think that we should do it on the show? Well, I think in general, they're one of the more misunderstood bands that are out there. I mm-hmm. mean, like there's this whole, there's been this whole trend in rock and roll music to the deconstruction of rock and roll music and what it was and what the cramps actually was. And there were so many of these bands that were that inspired that movement that that was their favorite band. And they yeah. were like a definitive rock and roll band. Like when you look at them, they were had all the absurdity of like Little Richard, of anything that really came about in that era, just kind of juxtaposed into the 80s. And like I came from a, a blues background. I mean, like I loved punk rock as a kid, but my dad got scared <laughs> by the fact that all the people I really started liking when I was young were all heroin addicts. So he's like, have you heard about Stevie Ray Vaughan, which was yeah. almost worse because he was a giant cocaine yeah. addict. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, blues music. No, uh, no drugs there. Yeah. No, no, none at all. Straight none edge. at all. Blues yeah. famously straight edge. Yeah. Totally. And and ultimately what the cramps represented is this, to me, is I think is this really perverted take on a definitively American style of music that has almost been forgotten and devalued. Because like, if you think about what America represents, it's not always necessarily a positive thing. No. Yeah. And no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you think about what is the most valuable things that we've actually produced as a country, it is actually our rock and roll music, our soul music, our blues music, and the actual fundamentals of that aspect of our culture. So yeah. I, I think they I represent a group of people that took that almost to a religious level. Yeah. And yeah. I think that is, uh, you know, pretty uh, enviable. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I think that some of the 
best rock groups of the um, post initial rock group era were the ones that uh, that that looked at that like blues origin of those first you know the uh, '60s groups and the kind of like the British invasion sound that was very very much trying to like copy blues music were the one the ones that really created the most interesting thing were the people who looked at that source material and was like this is inspiration but we're not trying to copy this oh, we're trying right. to figure out what is the new version mm-hmm. to do that with i think i've mentioned like i will always come back to like devo is one of these for me oh, uh, totally. there's one quote that i think i've mentioned before that i'm paraphrasing now that was like like i think gerard Cassale or something saying you know we were looking at these other 60s groups around us trying to play pe- black music like white people and we wanted to play like black rock music like robots oh. you know and just like com- <laughs> and look at it and be like okay so let's completely strip the soul yeah. out of this and see if we can get that get it down to like n- it's nothing roots and it seems like the cramps maybe in your estimation are like a different kind of doing that oh yeah no and, t- and totally and actually they're both from akron yeah like, yeah so that's, akron rock city yeah it's it, it and it's kind of crazy too because you, you think there would be more of a focus on akron's own history in like the rock and roll hall of fame but yeah not not as much. Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in uh, Cleveland, which or is Cleveland. The, uh, yeah, yeah, my 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 mistake. Well, I was gonna say yeah. which is the yeah. the uh, like kind of a, a bougie gentrified yes. version of uh, of Rubber City Akron. Chris yeah, is totally. from Cincinnati, so he's oh, got, you are. He's got yeah. Yeah, my dad was from Middletown, Ohio. Oh, okay, yeah. Ah, what is it about Ohio? Ohio? It produces good people. It's a yeah. fertile fertile ground for weirdos. Yes, it is. Oh, I love it. Uh, so, I mean, we're already kind of talking about it, but it, like, how did you come to the cramps? How did I come to the cramps? Well, again, like, yeah, I was obsessed with the blues when I was growing up. And they're kind of just like this thing. If, if you're like sheltered for a while and you run into that, mm-hmm. it hits you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just hits you. And like Lux Interior is one of these people that you don't hear about as much in terms of like rock and roll vocalists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he has a lower register. Like there's so much of the focus of this Robert Plant High vocal, yeah, this wailing, yeah, soaring and, screams. And when when you hear Lux, it's it doesn't, it, it's human. It's definitively human, but it's so powerful. It sounds like it, it's machine powered, yeah, at times. So like it's just like that. Like he totally performs in almost that James Brown spirit, where he gives all of himself, mm-hmm. and that is truly inspiring. The other thing is too, Ivy is probably. I hate to keep using the word underrated. Is one of the more underappreciated and underrated guitarists that's ever existed. Because she took that whole Link Ray thing and she expanded it over a 30-year career. The funniest part about this book, when we discussed it, it's going to say they have a 23-year career. It was 33 years of a band. Mm-hmm. My yeah. band has been a band now for, for two years yet. It feels <laughs> for like a lifetime already. That uh-huh. literally is a, a lifetime for some people. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like when you read the whole story of them and you hear all the music and how it kind of evolved, it's, at least for me, it was hard for it not to be one of my favorite bands. I loved... All the blues music. I loved seventies ACDC. I loved T Rex and stuff like sure. that. So that is kind of a natural evolution on that, and a lot of the influences that led to those bands. Mm. How about you, Molly? What do you know about the Cramps? I only knew them in like a list of like bands who played like in New York City in the late seventies. Like I did not know anything. I was like, I I know there's a woman in that. Like I, <laughs> I just had no I had no clue about like what exactly what were their songs and like what was their lineup. I also completely agree. After reading this book and reading about Poison Ivy's like attitude and like evolution of guitar and then I was listening to a bunch of cramp stuff today for the first time basically. 
I'm shocked that she's not mentioned more you in know, like legendary crazy. guitars. That is crazy yeah. shit. That's bullshit. Yeah, and she. <laughs> I am she, now uh, in, in instantly mad. <laughs> yeah, no, and she produced like the majority of those records, yeah. and they're sonically amazing for what they are in terms of like the the idea and the production aesthetic of it. Like, yeah. she knew how to execute that, and there, there's been very few people that has actually been able to to nail that sound in yeah. the studio. And it's also kind of crazy to me, like even though it's, it makes sense that she doesn't perform anymore because they were such an inseparable duo in terms mm -hmm. of how they made music, like how like she hasn't been brought back into the fold as a producer somehow. Like it blows me crazy. away. Yeah. Yeah, so I, that's my that's my feelings on the cramps. I basically <laughs> you went from, went from on a zero deep dive to today. Yes. yes. And now I stand. Uh, I... I mean, I, I'd known of the Cramps as one of the legendary bands. I knew, I know some of the mythology. I knew, I know that they uh, met met in a liquor store parking lot, which a uh, great, great point of origin. Sure. Uh, I knew that it's uh, the married duo that was like the engine of the whole thing. I, at some point, I like back in the the the, the download days, I like <laughs> wrangled a copy of Songs the Lord Taught Us and listened to all that as part of like rock history completion. Yeah, but I never really went further than that. Like I got it, I liked it, but it, it, in some ways that whole scene seems a little daunting because the whole, the door that the cramps opens is not only to like their whole their whole world, but then that record collector. Or I was world. gonna say like the the almost um you know you know how they're like a million subgenres of ele electronic music, sure, like that, but for a Billy music like rockabilly, psychobilly, oh, like speed yeah. billy, yeah. like all, all, all that kind of kind of stuff. Yeah. Um that I like, but just seems so vast that it's kind of impenetrable. So I was just like, I know the cramps, I know Reverend Horton Heaton, and that's enough for me. Yeah. Uh, but no, I've liked everything I heard, and I definitely really love just uh, that kind of overt camp style and like all the horror movie references. They're almost like creatively or their whole like imagery iconographically kind of like a weird inverse dark B-52s. You know how, how like they draw from those same kind of like camp fifties John Waters uh, references, totally. but the B fifty twos are like upbeat party music, yeah. and like uh, the Cramps is like street prowling music. Street prowling, <laughs> yeah. Uh, street prowling man. So I'm really excited to to take this evening as an extent to just like let's let's find out all about the Cramps. Yeah. I, I really am excited for to it. All right, let's do, let's do it. it. Great. Um, so, I mean, this book, this is an expansion of a shorter biography, uh, called a short history of rock and roll psychosis. So this writer <laughs> basically like delved more into the interviews. He talked a lot with, um, Lux and Poison Ivy and, you know, peripheral members of the band as well. Um, so this is just like the source material itself is like interviews. Yes. Right off, right off the bat. This, this is also kind of a, like the fall situation where it's like Lux and poison and then like 40 other people. Yeah. The Wikipedia band chart is, is similar to the falls, but it's two lines, two lines all the way down the, yeah. instead of one. Um, they also played with the fall early fall. Uh, oh, that's one of the stories in the book is amazing. <laughs> they, they have, we'll they have yeah. a Marky Smith encounter. Great. Um, so, I mean, it, the book kind of kicks off with, the context in which uh, the cramps are sort of attacking their style of music, which is being inspired by all of these like fifties, early sixties 
rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. Like they reference like Little Richard and stuff. Like we've talked about that a little bit and how Little Richard has uh, subverted the the norms of music by putting his foot on the piano. Like, <laughs> just really like absolutely, you know, stuff that we don't do around here. Well, it's just like it's 19, it's 1954, 55 and Little Richard's playing a concert and puts his feet up in the piano and there's just like 40 cops in the back of the auditorium <laughs> being like, can, can, can we arrest him? For that? that can't be legal. It simply isn't done. Uh, and... Lux says, he said, rock and roll originally meant, you know, sex. And sex is the most powerful thing. I don't know why that is. Any type of intimacy upsets people. I really like that quote because it's so simple, but I'm just like, oh yeah, like it's not just sex, it's intimacy. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. like like bodily vulnerability makes people crazy. Or just like intimacy in the sense of vulnerability showing uh, things that should be quote private in yeah. public. Or losing control yeah. in public or making other people lose control. So that's kind of like the... A, a wise man once said music <laughs> makes you lose control. Okay. Okay. Um, so yes, the cramps are basically there's a rotating cast of characters but it's Lux Interior uh, who was born uh, Eric Lee Perk Perkheiser, uh, October 21st, 1946, in a suburb of Akron. Uh, He grew up on a steady diet of Cold War era B movies. He grew up, you know, raising hell in the neighborhood, stealing hubcaps. uh, Going to local hops, which were, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the currency of Akron youths. You know, you go you go around and say, uh, "Hey, can I get a a a new uh, radio speeder bike? Yeah, that'll be six hubcaps, please." (laughs) Um, they, yeah. So like he, he's kind of bouncing around. He doesn't have a steady job. The draft happens. He kind of just like, doesn't show up for the draft. And then he finally is like, Oh shit. Like I need to do something. So he enrolls in college in California at Sacramento state. That's where he meets. Lux. You've, uh, yeah, I, you forgot to use the air quotes, too, when you said... Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it didn't sound so much like a college. Right, yeah. The they said the, Did he not enroll in college as much as go to a place where a college was? And kind yeah. Of, they called it a college, yeah. <laughs> and they, they, were, they said, they're like, it's the type of college where, like, your professor says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, what kind of grade do you want? And you say, I don't know, A? And the professor's like, okay. <laughs> That's that's the college they went to. That's where he meets Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy originally named uh, Christy Marlana Wallace, born February 20th, 1953. They meet, uh, she's hitchhiking, and I guess it's in a liquor store parking lot. Uh, At this time, Lux is a psychedelic, a self-styled psychedelic guru who goes by the name <laughs> Vip Vop. <laughs> which is This is like very awesome. early 70s. This is like still like 60s hangover yes. era. Yeah. Yes. Um, or is this all the way up in 76? No, this is like early, like early 70s. Yeah, it's probably like 72. So it's like when the, it's like the hippie thing has, has crashed. And now people are summer either, love is over. Summer of love is way oh, is over. So now it's either it's like the people who are just dabbling in it went on to become squares, and then the true dirtbags of hippiness went on to figure out what the new brand of like true dirtbaggery would be in that the seventies. Right? Yeah, and this he sounds like he's well, he's one of those guys like no, oh. I'm, I'm I'm riding this ride. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he he pretty much invented the ride at that point. <laughs> 
Vip-bop. Yeah. Vip-bop. He had a fuck. This just tells you how much like America has changed over the past even like 40 or 50 years. He had Vip-bop on a driver's license <laughs> somehow. I'm like, how, dude? I just had to, I went to register for TSA pre-check and I had to show like five forms of identity and they got my fingerprints and shit. I couldn't put Vip-bop on a driver's license. Leaning it's over bullshit. The, leaning over the DMV counter being like, can you just put, can you just put Vip-bop? Is that fine? <laughs> no, I, lo- I love how the local police, too, got to know him by that name, and they're just like, we hate this dude. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a hassle, man. Um, so, so they meet, and they uh, basically just have this instant connection, Poison Ivy and, and uh, Vip Hop, uh, who ends up being, <laughs> becoming Lux Interior. And Ivy says, I felt like I'd known him all my life. We were just together constantly, and we were pretty much out of our minds constantly, to be honest. We didn't come to the surface for a long time. Mm-hmm. Nice. So was, they they describe this relationship as a folie à deux like several times. I'm like that makes a lot of sense. A folie à deux. Folie à deux, like cra- craziness of a twosome. Oh, okay, yes. Like you feed off two people feeding off each other's uh, nuttiness. Insanity. Yes. Okay, yes. Um. So they move in together. They like almost immediately. They start hanging out all the time. They're driving to New York to see like the New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, they get hella into record collecting, and that's where they kind of keep diving into this like rock and roll history that they end mm-hmm. up mining for their music. They said any anything with the word "bop" in the title, we bought. It's <laughs> like a great see. That's uh, that is the best way to go record shopping is to have like a a genre or term or word that you're going like, I'm just going to go into the record shop and anything that's labeled dirge, I'm going to buy <laughs> or, you know, something, something like that. Yeah. Or anything that like called the Tennessee, whatever. Yes. Yeah. No, when just, he, t- when he talks about the, the record digging, some of the stuff they got into was a lot of it was doo-wop. Yes. Like, and they don't sound, you wouldn't, if you yes. listen to the cramps, you wouldn't ever think, Oh, they're obsessed with doo-wop, but they have like an amazing collection and, the one thing that I got turned on to by him because they always talk about their influences is the Flamingo B sides. If you've ever heard the Flamingos, no, like I only have eyes for you. Never, you know that you know that song. Do you want to pull up? Yeah, let's pull up Flamingos. Yeah, uh, well, their most there. popular song is uh, "I Only Have Eyes for You," but the one B side uh, that stood out to me because he said that reminded him of like pre psychedelic psychedelic music. Yes, is uh, "Love Walked In" by the Flamingos. It's, okay, opens with this theremin part. Which will just kill you. <laughs> we we love theremin here in this in this house. In we this respect house. theremin. Well, yeah, well, we. <laughs> oh my god! You wouldn't think you found this because of a band like the Cramps, which is yeah. But this does sound very. That beginning part sounds very the Crampsy, and like I get why they the vibe. Why they would appreciate that. <laughs> this also, I mean, sim- same energy. This also sounds very like uh, like a David Lynch song oh, or something. You totally. know? Yeah. Which they, I think it was Lux remarking that like the production techniques on all this old stuff that they found too, like tripped them out. Like it was just stuff that no one really did oh, anymore totally. by the time that they were thinking about making music. No. I love this. That yeah. theremin was incredible. No. Yes. <laughs> and they bring it back in at the at the outro of the song too. <laughs> Maybe we'll keep this this percolating in the background. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love this music so much. Yeah. Um, I mean there is something as time goes on, 
and it, I think it is about the production. You know, it's about the production quality of it. It's about the subject matter. It's about the styles. But you know, as more time elapses from when this music is recorded, there is something very haunted about like this kind of uh, slow, uh, very uh, uh, intensely emotional doo-wop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this was all like the end records. Like they were all out of Ohio, and I think it became. God, what did it become? I mean, it's going to kill me. But it became a, a, a fairly famous like record label after that. Mm-hmm. But it was only around for like two or three years. And like it was the same arranger. Like it, a lot of it sounds like this. It's just a beautiful stuff. Yeah. Uh, Lux said five, 500 years from now, I think people will be rolling around on their pod stems or whatever. And they'll be listening to these same records. <laughs> like talking about like, you know, whatever... Uh, Wally getting in your yeah yeah your your little uh, car riding around your pod yeah. Uh. Here it comes. There we go. Yeah. Oh my God. sounds like a whistle yeah. yeah it's great that's wild now that's theremin playing so yeah they, they <laughs> were having prodigious level theremin that's playing theremin. Yep. That's, that's real theremin now that's what i call theremin <laughs> yeah. well, i would get that you would get i know you'd get that in like a second so yeah they they're drawing on this like what i think is so cool about this like stage of their lives is that it's such a like physical experience like oh, they're totally taking speed and driving all night to the sun records warehouse and like plundering it for all these random like rockabilly records like it's truly like a like visceral experience it's a, which, it's a full lifestyle it's a full it's a whole ass lifestyle um they had to they they are not in college anymore by this point also they mm-hmm. like moved back they said that there was a legal issue in california <laughs> and they could really talk what about it, it yeah. wonder what um so obviously the next step is like we they said basically like there's never any question that like they needed they wanted to start a band uh and so they moved to new york because they had been driving to go to see shows at CBGB's and they, they moved there and they're shocked that not everyone in New York dresses like the New York dolls, (laughs) which I thought was really funny. Like they're like, yeah, most people are wearing jeans and shit. It's so boring. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so then they find, they find a drummer, they find a bassist, uh, their bassist, or no, they, they find what, someone they want to be their bassist, Brian Gregory, but then he, without their knowledge, stencils a Cramps logo onto a guitar, and so they're like, okay, you can play guitar as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they never, did they ever have an official bassist? Um, well, they had a couple different bassists, but uh, that was like later. They added bass in 86, okay. and the first actual live bassist they had was named Fur Dixon. Yeah. She was only there for a couple months, but on that album was actually Poison Ivy doing the bass on all of it. Of course. Mm. Yeah, so she had uh, she it, like had a couple different uh, guitars that were basically like long, uh, basically long-form guitars. Like yeah. A baritone active, yeah. guitar. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, like a bass six, like a Fender mm. bass six. Sure. Um, and she also had like another Danny Electro, and she did all of, all of the bass on that record and I, I mean, I would have to speculate she wrote most of the bass on the records yeah. after that, yeah. even if they had other people. Because here's the other thing that comes out in the book, too, 
is that she uh, played most of the guitar parts even when they had other guitar players. Right. She was just overdubbing. Yeah. Which is awesome. Amazing. I mean, it's shitty. I but mean, the only, the really, awesome. but really the only reason that they had other members was to physically play yes. the music on yes. stage. Live. Totally. Because they needed to play live in order to like make, make money, money yes. and have fans. Yeah. 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 And to express themselves. I yes, suppose. of course. And because live, you know, playing live music is fun and they seem like people who would uh, get off on, uh, on being yeah, wild people on stage. Yeah. Um, so the, this, I just find interesting because we've read, we've been reading so many of these books and so many of them talk about like musicians will talk about their first band and they'll be like, yeah, we were playing covers and like, you know, we were just trying to like work up the guts to like write our own material or like, oh, we couldn't play our own stuff yet because like people weren't ready. But I just think it's so interesting that the cramps really approached covers as like the thing. Mm -hmm. Like they, they wrote some of their own stuff too, obviously, but like it wasn't like, oh, well, we got to play these covers until we can like figure out our own stuff. They found like such juice in the covers. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I thought that's awesome. Yeah. No, a lot of the things with the covers for them too, like there were a, a few bands that did that. The one of them uh, that did it more reverently with blue stuff was the fabulous Thunderbirds. Mm -hmm. And you know, they, they did it great, but like so many times I'll listen to them. I'm like, oh, that's a cover. Then I'll find that song. And that's, how I'll discover a bunch of old stuff. But with yeah. the cramps, the reason they ended up doing so many covers actually was because of a legal issue mm -hmm. with IRS records. So they couldn't actually play new music live because people would be bootlegging it. So they're like, well, fuck, all we can really do is play our old shit and a bunch of covers. Yeah. What a narc name for a narc industry. IRS, IRS. <laughs> records. Uh, that's yeah, also it, would, it wouldn't be a music musician's history without getting fucked by your record yeah. label. Oh, sure. Are we going to get to that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's also feels like a very also a 50s throwback thing where, you know, all the for real first generation rock musicians would like play. There would be like a certain number of standards that everybody would like have their versions of. Yeah. And then you would like slowly throw in your own stuff around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that even happened with like the Ramones would steal not steal stuff but uh, yeah, I mean, borrow sure. stuff from steal. the cramps that the yeah. cramps were doing and oh, they'd totally. be like oh can we also do this and then they would do it and yeah. be be more popular they also i just love this they were talking about uh the idea of attaching importance to material i think this is the author of the book attaching importance to material that had been widely displaced as novelty records and lux said uh i think there's a danger with children if they don't have novelty records they can grow up get a job go to school and then die and never become crazier <laughs> that's I, true not enough novelty records these days we are right now experiencing a serious well, I mean, like, what's Old Town Road, I guess? Is that a novelty record? I mean, it certainly is very childlike. Yeah. Or like Doja Cat, you know. Yeah. The, I mean, the cow Gangnam song. Gangnam Style also. Was yeah. It's, yeah. I guess record. what is Although, a novelty you know, record? Uh, <laughs> a few episodes ago, we were talking about uh, size, like, hardcore uh, anti-imperialist early phase where he had songs like Die Yankee and stuff like that. <laughs> Which I hadn't <laughs> and, realized. Uh, yes. Not to get too far afield on this, but yes. it also seems like a... It's the side effect of maybe like the Jojo Siwa effect where you, when you're like age seven, eight, nine, instead of like being like a kid's musician releasing kids stuff, it's like, no, you are already on YouTube creating pop songs and forging a pop career. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no room to play. Along these lines, should we listen to uh, the Cramps cover of Strychnine? Yes, yeah. let's do it. Off the first album, or is yes. this? Yeah. yeah. 
You know, when they talk about the production of this record, it's really funny because they, they talk about how they recorded essentially in a night. Yeah. And that it took them like three months to mix it because Alex Chilton was so crazy. <laughs> yeah, so they, they recorded this album with Alex Chilton, which is another thing that I didn't realize happened. And that it just sounded like he was so kind of like stoned all the time. And also, and also they, they brought up a point that maybe he was just extending the, the times to like get paid more money. <laughs> like the longer things were going on, the more money that he would make. Uh, but yeah, they, it was you stuck needed in, to mix that record. Stuck in post, <laughs> post-production hell, basically, for I a mean, long time. Sonic's also another a great reference point for uh, for the Cramps. I remember one of the anecdotes I, I heard about the Sonics is uh, when they were recording like some of their first records. Uh, one of them would like distract the booth guy, and then the other one would take an ice pick to the cones of the uh, of the the speakers and the amps in the studio so they could get the distorted sound that they were looking for. Oh my god. Uh, without the the booth guy Being realizing. Like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> my equipment. Anyway, some folks like water, some folks like wine. Me prefer straight to strychnine. It's sure. <laughs> um so they this is this is the vibe, obviously. They they're in New York. CBGB is a thing. Hilly Crystal like doesn't like them basically like he like thinks they suck. I think he gave them a chance and they opened for the Dead Boys, mm-hmm. and then he was just like, no. <laughs> so they went. They played Max's Kansas City instead okay. and had like a residency they had to, there. They had to go a full ten blocks north. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the author of the book says that Max has provided them with early exposure to the bitchiness and perversity that tends to be a feature of creative elites. <laughs> In other words, like it was not a friendly scene for them. Oh, oh, oh no! It it sounds like when they first started playing out that people were just like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> I like I respect them so much more, like knowing they had to like that's not, that sounds like awful. Like it just sounded like they were experiencing a lot of antagonism and they had like some fans, but then most of the time they were playing for just like crazy unfriendly rooms. Yeah, my that under- would break me. My <laughs> understanding from devouring a few of these books back in the day of like, you know, please kill me. And um, you know, the marquee moon book and, and stuff like that is that, CBG cramps un- apparently unfairly left out of uh, yeah. please kill me. That, that was a thing. They were like, yeah, we don't know why we weren't in that book. We knew everybody. <laughs> we were there. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wh- wh- why legs McNeil? Yeah. What, answer to them. What's up legs? Uh, that, um, that, that, that CBGB was like more of the bar, but like Max's was like the club. Mm. And that was the one where you had to like, get in at the door and like well, there's the back room and like yeah getting in and like being in the same room as Lou like it's where Lou Reed would go to hang out and like have his table and stuff that 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 was the one and that if I remember also correctly I mean we'll have to do please kill me someday sure um that people were like mad at Patty Smith because she was like so cool and seen that she could like effortlessly get into Max's Kansas City from like her first her first day on the scene. Yeah. And just like speaks to like how charmed and uh uh, uh effortlessly famous appearing who's, she is. Who's this like eighty nine pound like mulleted Waif. like yeah, elf that yeah. Just, just like let her in. Just yeah. let her in. Yeah. <laughs> she's she seems like she's good at poetry. Yeah, and then just kid kids in her typical style, uh I mean, this is some of the things that irritate me about like just kids is, is her being like, I just wandered up to this club that seemed cool. 
I was called Max's Kansas City, and they let me right in. It was magical inside. And meanwhile, like Lux and Poison are outside being like, come on, we just played. Give us the rest of our content. <laughs> Don't get any respect. That's so true. Um, but Lux's response to this, to this sort of like weird clickiness and elitism, he said, I never had friends. I never had any friends all my life. I don't know why I should have friends now just because I'm in a rock band. <laughs> Which it does have like the most adorably butthurt like tone to it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it literally probably is something that's just like television said something bad about them that week. Yeah. Or like, because yeah. there is all this stuff where he says where he's like all these art school bands and then like 10 years later he's like yeah the talking hands and <laughs> yeah. oh, they were really great yeah <laughs> right and it seems like at least some of this was pulled from a fairly lively like music New York centric music press like there were you know zines zines yeah. and such Punk. Oh, the, they, they had the beef in them yeah <laughs> they were really good good goss I feel like unfortunately that, that might have died down a little bit um and they also express some frustration. We need to bring uh, blogging back. Yeah, let's bring that negativity. Bring yeah, yeah bring, bring there, those there needs vibes. to be there need to be blind items in Brooklyn Vegan. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Um, so Lux says he says a lot of people thought we were just making fun of something. They thought we weren't serious about what we were doing, but it isn't camp at all. So when you were saying mm. before that you were talking about this as like campy, I just find it so interesting that like they were so serious about like they took it. They were obviously doing this very like flamboyant, very outre thing, but like they took it dead serious. Yeah, they were totally. on a mission. I mean, I think camp can imply both serious and and having fun. I mean, you can be very serious about being very campy. Sure, but he, I think it's more just like don't you know, yeah, don't, don't stop write it, there. don't write it off. Yeah, yeah. he kind of gets into this too in like terms of how they're perceived versus how classic rock and roll was perceived and, and, and represented throughout history when he talks about Elvis, mm -hmm. like in the whole Sun Studio stuff when they're recording with Alex Chilton, where yes. he's like, uh, Elvis was basically perceived as this radical figure when he actually came around originally because he was wearing mascara mm -hmm. and like dyeing his hair and stuff. Yeah. And like the deep South in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And the only reason allegedly, according to Lux, that he got in to record at Sun Studios is because he had an amphetamine connection. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's, it's who you know. Well, that'll help, you know. Yeah. Look, I got all these songs, but also I got all yeah, these songs. Yeah, my mom's got a lot of amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got a lot of songs to record. Bring them by. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's, that is interesting. The, the, they, I feel like they contextualize, contextualize Elvis in a different way than I was oh, used totally. to. Yeah. As both like outsider, like outsider and obviously then sort of paragon of a particular kind of approach. Yeah, he talks about him like he's an alien. That's, yes. That's yeah. the, the, and that's the, when you realize that you see so much of where like Lux's personality yeah. comes from and his stage persona is he was literally thinking of himself of how people must have first perceived Elvis. Yes. When they saw him, it's like this is this radical sexual thing. You like you were saying, you're not going to shock people by putting your foot on a piano or yeah. swiveling your hips in the 80s. Yes. But like goddamn looks interior will still freak out some people. Yeah. yeah. He did it by like eating glass <laughs> or like, you yeah. know, yeah. jumping off of, microphone. Yeah. yeah, jumping off of the second story of a, a stage, which still still does shock people when that happens. But, at, like, but, I mean, Elvis, Elvis is, such, such a, is so interesting in that way because he is so revolutionary as he comes out. And then by like a decade later, he's one of the most merchandised entities of the 20th century. Oh, totally. And there's like, I mean, it's like it goes very much from like when he first burst on the scene 
very literally people saying this should be illegal. Yes. To like seven years later, it's, it's, you know, major motion picture. Elvis goes to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. literally, yeah. <laughs> literally. People, people got used to that quite quickly in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, so like then punk really breaks by the end of 1977, as we all know, countless other bands kind of come up and sort of the cramps are basically, I think getting ignored more or oh, less. Yeah. They were, the, the irony of this is one of their most famous lyrics is you ain't no punk, you punk, but they were, they were <laughs> treated like they didn't belong in any sort of way. And I almost accept the fact that they didn't because in so yeah. many ways, I think, Poison Ivy's ability and Lux's ability outstripped many other punk bands at yes, that time. They could I, play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they and, could sing. Like, yeah, could sing. like Lux, Lux, it's still like he, some of the things that I heard him do, I've never heard anyone else yeah. be able to do on record. Yeah. They're kind of in like the unfortunate position of being like too, too good in some, like, yeah, especially totally. and like even having the idea of like having a stage presence or like dressing a certain way. Oh, is also puts them apart from everyone else who's like, no, we don't give a fuck, but it's like, clearly you do. Yeah. But like, we give a fuck in a very specific way that I apparently mean, people are not vibing with. As Malcolm McLaren was said, punk was invented to sell clothes. Hmm? Sell, I think it's trousers or something. Trousers. <laughs> something like that. that was the British version of this is him coming to New York and seeing all this stuff in 76 and then going back in 77. And it's being like, like, I'm starting a band. Yeah, yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> um, so the cramps, then they get out of town they start playing shows elsewhere besides New York, including a legendary show at the California State Mental Hospital. Okay, yes, I've uh, heard of this. That you had you? Yes. Um, can you pull up? The, it's on YouTube. There in, is YouTube of it in pretty decent uh, quality. Oh, cramps! <laughs> and Lux says we always wanted to play a mental hospital because we always had a problem with audience not audiences not being quite what we'd like them to be. So there were people licking the walls, people coming up and talking to us while we were playing, but mainly it was people dancing the weirdest dances you've ever seen. All right, uh, let me see if I can cue up something in here thing i love about this too is they say like oh yeah we were trying to do this with other mental hospitals and they they said they really liked us and they would give us a letter of recommendation but it never came Uh, (laughs) (laughs) bureaucratic red tape this is shockingly good footage yeah uh well the one thing i will note is that it's hard to tell who's in the band and who's in the crowd (laughs) that is why they're so good Also, I feel like this speaks to the relatively lax state of uh, California state institutions, period. <laughs> California colleges, seems like you can just show up, mostly do a bunch of mushrooms and acid, hang out at class eventually if you want to, graduate, avoid going to the war. California mental institutions, I don't know, bring in some bands. Yeah. A little fast. We'll, really, we'll bring in the cramps. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring in the little cramps. <laughs> I mean, it, it worked for Johnny Cash. Sure. Got a great album out of it. Yeah. No, apparently, too, uh, I think it was something like 20 inmates or, or not inmates. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. yeah they tried They tried to escape during, <laughs> during, during that concert. Show, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People will be distracted by this, uh, this rock and roll band <laughs> on stage. Let's do it. Um, so they, they're, they're doing stuff like this. Like they're not quite there. There's something going on. Um, they finally they signed to IRS records. They it's. It's a surprisingly long time between when they start and when their first album actually comes out. They have a couple mm-hmm. of singles. I think they put out maybe like a collection of B-sides before that, or like an EP or something. Yeah. Um, but then Songs of the Lord Taught Us uh, comes out. Do we want to listen to anything else 
on there. What's your favorite cutoff? Songs oh, of the Lord yeah. taught us. Uh, well, Songs of the Lord taught us is great. I mean, but ultimately, the next stuff like Psychedelic Jungle is really good. Like stuff with King Congo. I mean, that, that's Let's where the that. production kind of comes in. Well, yeah, and we, then and they so we did say they certain, weren't they weren't one hundred percent. Yeah, they were. It was it's still really early on yeah. songs. Of the Lord taught us. It's like one of those things where it gets included on a lot of like record lists, but it's one of these things where I think a lot of the claim comes from them being so ignored. Yeah, yes. For the so first they, couple it's years, it's like you got to put the first on. So we oh, listen yeah. to Strict Nine off of that. Yeah, uh, it gives you a yeah. sense of what the sound is, even if that's not an original. For and this. Uh, the critical response is, uh, it's they're warming to them. Paul uh, Rambali from Enemy said of uh, Songs Lord taught us, get this album while it's still warm and let a loud depraved influence into your life. <laughs> I don't mind if I do. I mean, I'm if, like, Hell if yeah. you wanted to put on Garbage Man too, that's a really good right. one. Let's listen to a little. Garbage yeah, Man. great. Garbage Man also has a really cool mix, though, from that record. It's not as, you know. <laughs> Starts a good sample of a garbage truck. coolest lyrics ever. It's like a hottest uh, hottest thing for the North to come out of the South. <laughs> this guitar sound is fucking yeah, the f- gnarly. The twang on the guitar. Yeah. yeah. It's like one of those things that, that, that feels like they just isolated like an artifact in recording. Like artifact in like the J- JPEG sense, oh, yeah. sense where it's like something raw, like wrong or impure in the original mix and they're like no, 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 that's the good part. We want to amp that up. Yeah. I never know if it's actually Ivy or Brian Gregory doing this because it comes out in yeah, the yeah. in the one in giant monolith that it's mostly Ivy. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's such a hard thing to nail, but I love this the like caveman stomp drum drum beat, and it's like one of those things where you think it's easy to just go boom pa boom pa boom pa, but like you gotta get you gotta be in the pocket, you gotta oh, know the rhythm oh, totally. to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, you, you got to be vibing with the band to make it hit in the exact right way. Oh, yeah. Nick Knox, the drummer of the Cramps, I, I, I like to say he has his own, he totally has his own pocket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it is just him, just on the, the tom and the snare. Yeah. And, like, so much of that is is just this, like, weird jungle beat that he invented. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so they, they put out that first album. They go on tour in the UK uh, with The Fall. That Mar- sounds fucking Mar- great. Marky Smith tells them he basically is like, "You guys are like too. You got too much of a stage show going on. Like you don't need all that. Like you should just." Now is like, this Marky Smith giving them a suggestion, or is he like, is it Marky Smith be like taking drunkenly the yelling at them and being like, what is "You the cannot. Difference? You're not allowed to do that." What is the difference? So I looked into I looked into the story, okay. and uh, apparently they tell it more in full in this out of print book on Marky Smith from. <laughs> But yeah, apparently he took Lux Interior over to a mirror and he was like, look at yourself. Oh my God. Look at yourself. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, he's like, what is there, what is there to, to look at? I'm fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. Look, look, I look great. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Do you see me? I have Lux Interior. I'm, I am. That's because it seems like uh, I, it's so funny thinking, imagining them together because they seem like they, sh- 
it's two great tastes that seem like they should take taste great <laughs> together, but I'm absolutely positive that they hated each other. Yeah. We we read a book about um uh all the former members of the fall mm-hmm. telling their stories. And it really does sound like the way you get into the fall is Marky Smith puts a spell on you because he's like a cult leader, and that shit would not work on Lux Interior. No. Not in a million no. bazillion years. But, but seeing those two bands on a bill together makes so much That's sense. That's dope. Yeah. And, That's and sweet. like the show, you'd be like, as a viewer, you'd be like, oh yeah, this ma- this makes total sense that these people should be playing together. And I'm sure that they every time they they cross each other in the green room, they wanted to murder oh, each other. Oh yeah. Well, the thing the thing that came out is the first time that uh, Marky Smith saw the cramps is apparently he didn't like the cramps at all, and he sure. had to be convinced that they were like the real deal. <laughs> oh my god. But the, just the balls of someone just to go up to Lux Interior or anyone in the cramps be like, hey, you just need to like tone it down a little bit. <laughs> and if the balls, especially if that person is yeah. Marky yeah, Smith. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You could barely put yeah. a pair of pants on. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also, the cramps are opening for the police on a police tour. That makes less sense, but I'm sure that uh, Sting was a perfect gentleman to them. Well, yeah. Um, it's Those are two tastes that I I don't really understand why they were put oh, together. It was because mom, uh, Stuart Copeland's brother, Miles Copeland, he yes. owned IRS. Yes. So it was basically one of those things where it's like, oh, you're on a... My brother's label, so let's get this going. <laughs> the, sure. The ultimate nepotistic uh, uh, situation. They So they play, for big crowds, they're talking about they played for a crowd of 10,000 people in Milan, and they are just pelted with fruit. <laughs> just the Italian people, the Milanese, just absolutely wailing on them with like oranges and shit. And uh, the guitarist for the police, Andy Summers, says, he's quoted as saying, this is absolutely marvelous. We pay a fucking fortune for the best PA we can assemble and watch it reduce to ashes before we get to use it. <laughs> just imagine being the wow. guitarist for the police and just being like, fuck. Our fidelity. <laughs> Our fidelity is ruined by these brutish Americans with their, <laughs> with their loutish uh, uh, 50s cave music. They've turned our stage set up into fruit salad. How will we send out our SOSs? <laughs> Sending out an SOS. Get rid of this band. Take them off the stage. I don't. I don't know if they actually talk like that. No, I like, feel like they're probably more like hey, with. Oh, oh with a police. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello. I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> we, we thought about naming our band the Bobbies, but it might be too uh, specific. Regionally specific. I used to make albums called Synchronicity. Now I sing about Field of Gold, eh? <laughs> <laughs> On my 500 string lute. Oh my god. Oh, very very tantric. Um, they so they they lose Brian Gregory, the the sort of wall of sound, <laughs> their second guitarist. Uh, this is when the sort of merry go round of band members like really gets going. Um, they move to California. They they do a goodbye to all that. They yes. leave they leave New York because they're basically just like. See, I always. Maybe this is just because I read that they met in Sacramento or something. I always thought of them as a California a California punk band. band. They yeah. make more sense in that context. It's much more of a, a LA thing. It's yeah. their whole vibe. They, yeah, they end up. They ended up uh, going to LA right right at the early eighties. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is probably the best the best time for them to do it. Even though at that time it was also like hardcore and straight edge was like bubbling up. Sure. And then like punk was already like in its current format was already dying because these things have a shelf life of like seemingly eighteen months before things start changing. Oh, uh, sidebar on this: yes. something I realized recently, uh, two ways. Uh, the decline. Speaking of 1980s and punk, no, the year 1980 and punk music in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I just noticed that Penelope Spears' excellent documentary "Decline of Western Civilization." Oh my god, is on Amazon Prime. Ooh, but even more than that, 
I've investigating that it, the whole thing is on YouTube and I cannot recommend that movie enough. Have you seen part two? I have, but I like part one more. Oh my God. No, let me, let me, let me evangelize for part two for a second. <laughs> so, so part one is the punk years and part two is the metal years. Yes. And the metal, it's like a horror movie starring a bunch of hair metal musicians yes. where the, the, you know, the murderer is Kurt Cobain and he's never seen. <laughs> you just know all the people that are going to get murdered or all the people be like, yeah, I'm going to make it. And yeah. Then, it, it, the, whole, like, the whole thing is a joke where you know the punchline. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very brutal movie, and you, you have scenes where like Ozzy Osbourne will be making himself breakfast, and he'll be trying to like pour himself OJ, and he just won't realize he'll be spilling it all yeah. over the counter and floor. Uh, <laughs> yes, part two is good and very heightened. Part one is just an excellent documentary about what the punk scene is in uh, L.A. in 1980 was like, yeah. and I we should do a full episode on it sometime. Yeah. But I highly recommend any listener to just check it out. It's all on YouTube. I just found out. And watch on, I was about to say, watch on YouTube to support the overlords at Google instead of Amazon. Yeah, sure. But I guess, you know, six of one, half yeah. dozen of the other. Same slop, different, different bucket. Find a, find a, boot, a bootleg DVD <laughs> on the street. Yeah. Find your, your local tape guy and have him get it, get it to you. Yeah, yeah. I got a tape guy. Um, the, so yeah, they moved to California. They poach uh, the guitars from the gun club, which they then dub Kid Congo Powers. Uh, he just generally great names in these. In oh, this yeah. Lux amazing. Interior, amazing, amazing stage name. name. My favorite thing too is he names it after like used cars. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a used car sales term. Yeah, exactly. You see it's that so on like yeah, on, a, on a on a neon orange car written in marker on a neon orange card, like stuck under the uh, windshield yeah. of a car on some lot. Even somewhere. even Nick Knox is like, is that his actual name? Because that's a, such a percussive like drummer name. Nick I think Knox? that I think that might actually. Well, I'm not sure there. I'd have to check, but I believe it is. That's 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 pretty decent. There's yeah, there's that some lines good ones up very well with Vip Bop. Yeah, Vip Bop and Vip Bop and Nick Knox. Um, they so they've got their new you know uh, noise noise man basically, and he's kind of like semi hazed just because he's you know newer in the group, and at the end of the day, it really is a a relationship between Lux and Ivy. Uh, Kid Congo Power says that Lux would tie my legs together with the mic cord and drag me around the stage during Surf and Bird. Usually, <laughs> like just some, which honestly, that's Marky Smith type of behavior. Yes, <laughs> it's just a you know an antagonistic stage relationship. Um, so yeah, Psychedelic Jungle is is their second one. And I I'm just what imagine I, trying to like keep playing while somebody's dragging you around because Surf and Bird's not impossible to play. So just like somebody's like. Whipping, like you across whipping you across stage. the stage. <laughs> um, I liked, I, I just wanted to note uh, Lux's definition of psychedelic, which he says, uh, I think people bought a Doors album and then decided, ooh, I'm going to get moody and heavy. I was around during the psychedelic days, and that doesn't remind me of what was going on then at all. Psychedelic means mind manifesting, and that to me means living in optimism, not depression or gloom. Aww, I really like that good. definition of psychedelic, because I think... I Oh, the the cramps in this book and these interviews are so good at just like breaking down literally like words. Yeah, yeah. that sounds so very articulate. To say. Yeah. This they're, is a very uh, words about music book. Yeah, they're like semantics. I guess would be like the correct word for it, maybe. But like they're just so good at being like, well, what does what does rock and roll mean versus like what does like rock music mean? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that because I feel like uh, you know people. Um, they're, they're asking people, people so to see, not be so damn lazy about the way they interact with music, oh, totally. which I'm like, hell yeah. And I feel like people uh, associate like psychedelic, especially if in the most basic sense in the light, in like the late 60s sense with just like the droney open string things and like 
uh, droning chords and and stuff like that, rather than the things that are like the positive part, which is evocative soundscapes, yeah, which can be very up and yeah. heightened Mind and maybe even minimal, minimalist, mm-hmm. as long as the thing about it that yeah that that takes you is that it captures a part of your mind and takes that with you rather than something that you're like focusing on in an acute way. Yeah. Totes. Um, so they are, they're gaining a little ground, get, gaining a little respect. They're playing bigger and bigger shows. Uh, and then they kind of hit a roadblock in 1982, which is when they sue IRS because they are owed money mm-hmm. that they are not getting. And then they also just want to get off the label. Like they're, they're kind of done with them. And so suing your record label means that you can't, they will give you no support. You will not be able to record anything on their dime, nor can you record anything anywhere else. So they're basically reduced to playing shows like local, and they also aren't going to get their tours booked for them. So they, this is really, I think, what pushes them into being like truly like DIY. Mm-hmm. And it's an unfortunate situation that that's why that is. But I think it also kind of takes them to the next level of like how they run themselves like they are truly like beholden to nobody but themselves i mean this is this is kind of the thing that we talk about in negative aspects usually is like when the band becomes a company yes or something but this is like the positive commitment to it of being like if we're not if we're truly going to run this band in the future as for a long period and we are not going to have professional assistance then we have to like exist in a certain level of competency and create systems on our own to like make this shit happen. Oh, totally. Every time they didn't have a, a band or, or not a band, I mean a label or a manager or something like that, it was literally Ivy yeah. just running the entire ship. Which is amazing. Yeah. And when you say it's DIY, they you could make the argument too that they probably did DIY better than any other band in terms of building a reality and a world mm-hmm. around what their band actually was and yeah. meant yeah. to their fans. Yep. Yes. But they don't get like called that because they were, I feel like when you think of like late 70s or early 80s punk, it's in this like weird soup of like independent British labels, but also like sometimes major labels are being like, okay, how can we get in on this? And they truly were like, they were apart from all that in oh, the end. Oh yeah. It's one of those things where they, they didn't get their proper recognition as a punk band back in the day. But now all these people that were in that scene back then, that's their... They love them. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Their, well, that's their favorite band, but not just that. You could also make the argument they're probably one of the greatest unsung blues bands that's ever mm-hmm. existed in American history because they totally took that the whole perverted sense of blues. Like There are entire compilations of just absolutely dirty blues songs from the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. and they conti- continued in that tradition of just outraging and shocking, outrageous and shocking music. Yeah. Uh, you, we were saying earlier that, I mean, I don't know wh- how fully this goes into it in, in, as we go into the 80s. We were saying earlier that maybe, uh, you know, it was a shame that they weren't included in Please Kill Me. Uh, but maybe moving into this era, it was a shame that they weren't included in Our Band Could Be Your Life. The sure. The oh uh, chronicle of the kind of DIY bands of yeah. the 80s and the embracing of that aesthetic. Yeah. Because like all the original late 70s punk bands, eventually if they made it made it on some kind of major label release then we move into the 80s and this more diy aesthetic takes over uh and it seems like maybe one of the places that they get lost in this history is that they came out in the first era but practiced more like the second era yeah and so, la- yeah like lasted from yeah, one they were to like the a other. little older than the group of you know like the the sst like the black flag bands or uh you know the beat happening uh, up north or uh um uh, 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 the Minutemen or something like that. Oh, yeah, they all love the cramps too. Like, there's one of my favorite uh, videos you can find on YouTube 
is Ian McKay, or no, it's uh, Henry Rollins talking about seeing the cramps for the first time with Ian McKay. And he was like, it, uh, he said that Lux interior was uh, slimy to the touch. <laughs> like they they had to help um, help him get his pants off or on or oh something, something like that, and they returned his pants to him at the end of the show uh, back folded. <laughs> oh, that's so adorable! Like here you go, Mister Interior. <laughs> uh, above all, it must be noted that uh, Henry Rollins and Ian McKay are nerds. Oh, yes. total, yeah. Uh, for yeah, sweet nerds. Also, I I just want to point out, uh, Lux when they started the band was thirty, and I just want to, as someone who recently turned thirty, I just appreciate that that he started the punk journey at age at 30. age thirty, and like continued to just act like an absolute like maniac yes. on stage for however many years. Ugh, God love you. Um, they so where are we? Um, yeah, so they're they're in this this sort of weird independent lifestyle like ivy's literally like has got a book on about how to do music licensing like what a hero <laughs> oh god um they do we want to listen to some music from like the mid 80s oh. they eventually get released yeah go ahead. oh yeah um uh, if if you wanted to put off uh put on something from a date with elvis but we're not quite uh there yet you could still put on something from psychedelic jungle if they if uh, uh yeah Google so psychedelic up. jungle is their last uh label album Right. Yeah, that that's I think so. Yeah, that's yes. so. After psychedelic jungle, there was a couple different comps. There was like off the bone, and then there was bad music for bad people, and that was all. That's what I had. I had bad music for bad yeah, people, which is also one of the best names for a oh, thing. It's amazing. That's usually when people don't uh, when people don't know what Chapo Trap House is. When I say that I work on it, I usually just say, "Oh, it's a bad podcast for bad people." <laughs> Good. But yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> uh, what what do you what do you like off? Uh, Psychedelic Jungle. Uh, Goo Goo Muck. Goo Goo Muck. Yeah. It's a cover, but again, uh, I've heard them referred to as the greatest cover band of all time. The sun goes down and the moon comes up. I turn into a teenage Goo Goo Muck. <laughs> yeah, I cruise through the city and I roam. Just to provide context to this, while all this is going down and you hear how kind of sparse and less is more her guitar playing is and how it is really just derivative throwback riffs in a lot yeah. of ways. I hate to use the term derivative, but I mean it in a I mean, positive it, sense. It's deriving from yeah, something. Yeah. exactly. Um, there was all the hair metal and Eddie Van Halen stuff going right. on at this. And even in a blues context, you had someone like a Stevie Ray Vaughan who was more of an athletic guitar player, even if he was a history book musician kind of in his way yes. that he... Approach guitar playing, yes. right? That that's something that the book I feel like largely does not acknowledge is that they're kind of holding on to this. They're really like keeping the torch going yeah, totally. for the style of music, yeah. Even as like the genre of what rock music is like wildly starts to yeah bend and, and, and it, at its most excessive is getting truly excessive in in oh. like. Some some very gaudy ways. Yeah, if you were, we were to talk about what was truly absurd, it's what people's perception of rock and roll became in the eighties. Yes. Yeah. Where it was like this arena joke. Yes. After a point. Right. Where it's like you watch back some like not to say anything negative about Van Halen because there's a lot of people that love that band. But sure. I mean, just watching some of those concerts or, or any of those types of bands back in the day, it's like 
How was this a thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Motley Crue's like, we got a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think the difference is to go back to the idea that like rock and roll is sex. Yeah. They're holding on to that yeah. versus like, I don't, I maybe, listen, I mean, maybe Van Halen is sexy to some people, no. but I do think it is, his, it's kind of like cut that off of its shell of what rock and roll is. Uh, and this is the, still sexy. The most physical. Yeah. It's a more, I, like the Van, the guy, Van Halen guys certainly had a lot of sex, but I would, I would, <laughs> I would <laughs> certainly, had a lot of sex appeal. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would say that maybe the sexy, sexiest Van Halen song yeah. is Panama. And that's about a car that he yeah. wants to find. <laughs> yes. Right. And yeah. Which between, you know, I, I do like the song Panama, but I would love to see what the cramps would have done with Panama. Oh you know? my God. The cramps version of Panama. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, yes. That is Goo Goo Muck. That's some good. Off that's psychedelic some good Muck. Um, So yeah, they, so they're, yeah, they're chugging on into the mid, mid eighties while all of this arena rock is crashing down and around them. Um, keeping the the flame alive. They're still playing shows where like Lux, like they're in Munich and Lux uh, falls into a hole. He's like jumping on like a wooden stage and falls through the stage (laughs) and then climbs his way back out of the hole in the stage while still singing the entire time. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Like imagine seeing that. Yes. And he's like, like what? Also, late thirties um, at this. Also, time? emerging from a hole in the stage sounds like the perfect visual uh, <laughs> representation uh, of their music. He's an athlete, that yeah, man. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, they uh, a later, uh, which was the one that you wanted to listen to? The um, oh, okay, so a date with Elv- Elvis, a date with Elvis is yes. the studio album after that, and that was the one I was mentioning that Ivy did uh, most of the bass on. Yes. No, okay. all the bass on. Okay. Uh, what's your track off this? Oh my god, the the first one is is amazing. How far can too far go? How far can too far and, go? And it, it opens with this really cool like bass fuzz, and there's like a tremolo on it. And it took, it took me forever to figure out what the sound was, and it really is just her letting the feedback yeah. ring out on this bass set, and everything just builds around it. And you have this idea of what the band is. It's completely different from this record. Play. Completely different, but but still the same. Yeah. Well, there's a through line. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's it's perfect to be like, okay, we've been playing together for a decade, and we're gonna finally add a bass to our recorded material, and it comes in this totally sideways way. It's not just like doing the the like boom 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 literally, or like a walking bass. It's like no, we're gonna integrate it in a like totally sideways way, where it's just gonna be like this reverbing organ tone. Yeah. But it nonetheless is like exactly what you would assume, what you would want of a bass tone in, in this band. And the cool, cool thing about this album, too, it's the only Cramps album that's on there where you hear actually Ivy singing. Oh, there's, yeah? There's two tracks on here where she's singing. But the, um, uh, oh, God, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's the last. Oh, uh, Get Off the Road. Okay. Yeah, that's the one where you hear Ivy actually singing, and she's got this. She's got the most adorable voice you'll ever hear. <laughs> All right, let's hear, awesome. let's hear a little of that. We might have to listen to this for a second to get to the Ivy part. Again, yeah. starting with the vehicle sounds. They do like cars. Yeah. They're yep. into cars. You get more into car culture in the, yeah. later on. <laughs> hey, who the hell do they think they are? I'm sure this is sample uh, from some like. They're just a bunch like, of girls.
uh, surprised that uh, Quentin Tarantino didn't put this song in. Oh. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, I was going to say, uh, what's the one that you love? Oh, uh, Death Proof. Yeah. Yes, this does sound like it should be on the Death Proof. Oh my Proof God, yeah. You are so right. This is great. Yeah, this is sick. Yeah, no, the the thing about this record, too, is they have it as a split uh, with Kiss My Ass, which is a, a funny song, but it's a total joke song. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because you would think after that they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to get Ivy more on some of these vocally, and they're just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all you get. Um, the fo- I believe this is the following uh, album after that one, which is called Stay Sick. Yep, Stay Sick. It's a Goulardi reference. Stay co- Sick and Turn Blue. So, yep. and Goulardi is the, like, oh, was he radio or was he, he TV? Was, he was a television host for WJW in Cleveland, <laughs> Ohio. There we it go. Was he like a late night, um, oh, Goulardi. Yeah, 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 so he was like an Elvira type character yes. where he like presented, uh, yes, I... I not only am I immediately familiar with what like, the concept is, I'm sure I've read about this person in like, I don't know, reading about Rocket from the Tombs or something. He Rocket ended up the crypt? actually being the voice of the love boat and all that. He's one of the, I believe his real name is Ernie Ladd. I could be incorrect <laughs> about that. But uh, yeah, no, he became uh, known for basically doing all those like famous television intros. Like mm-hmm. he was like, fuck it, I'm moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> Starting anew. The the influences that Lux grew up with are so so good and weird. Oh, you know, I mean that is that thing of all those people in that era in Cleveland and Akron area era of the time. I mean, so like Lux grew up in that in that environment. As I mentioned before, the Devo guys come out of that environment. Um, Dave Thomas and Perubu and Rocket from the Tomb also have like a weird like throwback. Uh, um, I, f- I forget if it's Rocket from the Tomb or Rocket from the Crypt. Do you do you remember? I, th- I think it's from the tomb. Rocket from the tomb. Uh, also have like a weird throwback uh, uh, 50s like monster movie vibe. And then Dave Thomas goes on to do Perubu, which is like totally weirdo, wacko, uh, pop punk that are also like 20 year road warriors uh, that do this stuff forever. I, there's something about like the pr- specific concentration of lead in the water in North uh, Eastern Ohio at that time or like whoever was programming regional TV just had like the right combination of weird stuff on that Mm. just melted the minds of, of several dozen young men and women from that area of that time in the specific way to go on and create bizarro rock bands. Yeah. Lux breaks it down. Um, a couple of them like besides Alan Freed, who's known as like kind of the father of rock and roll radio and desegregated concerts. There was Pete mad daddy Myers. Yes. Which is, if they have the song, I am the mad, mad daddy. That was like another one that highly influenced him. And he was, uh, he was radio and Goulardi was television. Goulardi would like literally set off firecrackers and like start in fires the in, the in the studio. So like he would say that like all the kids and all the people that became like hippies and became kind of like that freak generation, like they would be home and they'd be watching Goulardi yeah. <laughs> in that area. And I, the other thing too is like, there was such that, that horror movie, that horror movie culture. And I mentioned the mask earlier. If you ever have a chance to watch that, I highly recommend it. It's one of, it's, it was a, um, they brought back like 3d technology in the sixties. It was something that originally mm-hmm. happened like 3d movies was something that happened in the fifties, mm-hmm. but it was like one of the first, uh, throwback ones. And it is like being transported into like another world anytime they do these. 
Yeah. And when it goes to these 3D scenes, the monster that they show, it literally looks just like Lux Interior. <laughs> <laughs> he based everything off of shit that he just saw as like a 15 year old. Oh my God. I just feel like there's like a hole in his head and like shit was beamed directly <laughs> yeah, yeah. into it, <laughs> poisoning him for all time. That's so wonderful. Um, so yeah, stay, stay sick. Um, comes out in uh, 1990, which obviously that's another sort of water pre watershed era for transition sure. rock music. But what I lo- I am obsessed with this thought of this. I think this is Lex. He said, "We are sick and tired of rock and roll getting such a good name and getting so respectable. Uh-huh. They're feeding starving people. We don't like that. We like to keep it unhealthy and sick." So he's got a fucking gun out for you too, being like, sure. "Stop feeding like Farm Aid or whatever." He's like stop it like this is not what rock and roll is about i just think it's so funny like i'm sure he's you know he's not anti-feeding starving oh, people no. he's like that's not what rock and roll yes. is <laughs> the the sort of like policing the like finger wagging of like you yeah, know yeah. young young man the, you're too clean cut yeah bono is like not do, not the vibe do some drugs bono yeah, <laughs> take off those glasses yeah, do some drugs. <laughs> stop selling ipods for humanity yes. um they and you know keep in the same realm of you know keeping it unhealthy and sick. They there's an amazing anecdote where they're at the Reading Festival, and Lux says a couple of fans brought along a human skull that they dug up. One, <laughs> one of these guys was a grave digger. It was pretty fresh. They knew the guy's name. I guess it's the reason we started the band to meet these kinds of people. <laughs> Holy fuck! So that's, wild. That's a good. Uh... That's a good rhyme with his quote earlier of I I never had any friends. I don't see why I should now that I'm in a band. The the flip side of that is though I'm not really I guess I'm not making friends from the band, but I am getting people bringing me human skulls who are like, "Hey, we like your work." So, <laughs> Lux, uh, I don't need any friends. Two guys come out of the woodwork <laughs> holding a skull. He's like, hey! "Oh my god, we're best friends." <laughs> insane, insane. So the the rest of the book it. it starts kind of speeding through the narrative a little bit and they, they kind of start slowing down through the rest of the nineties um, and then the early two thousands. But there are some, they finally get, I think a little taste of the sort of being treated like the legends that they are. They've, they, been, they've been doing it enough that, that, that like people like, who actually grew up listening to them are now in positions where they can like honor them or oh, people yeah. who were never, who weren't even born when they were making music are finding it yeah, and yeah. being like, Whoa, this is so sick. They had a 90210 episode. They had a 90210 episode, yes. which was, can you find, can you find that? Yes. I can pull up you, uh, a little bit of this. That's you could literally find comments. Lux interior performing on 90210. And it, the strangest part is the whole scene. It's like this bizarre, like prom dance. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, besides being a little appropriative, it looks straight, straight up like a cramps music video. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, honestly, like, a little too and, many Indian costumes. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. Well, in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, the thing not a is, <laughs> again, talk about like, Camp, and I know that the he that he might not want it to be thought of as that because it might label it as on seriousness. But in terms of the intersection of like styles and recognition and stuff, that the Cramps playing on nine hundred two one zero is like weirdly perfect, perfect. Yeah. right? Because well, they are they are both like weird perverted versions of Americana, like filtered totally. through a million. Yes. media layers. So it like makes sense. You talk about him, you know, watching Goulardi as a kid. If 
what it takes for some like young weirdo who's like watching 90210 because her older sister is and then they see this weird band and they're like what is that and yes. then that's what like twists their brain also they would be a perfect prom band they're they are like <laughs> yeah. dark like the perfect dark prom band i thought you were gonna say the Dar- daria prom band i'm I mean, like sure yeah i feel like daria would probably have been into that all right here's a here is a youtube video uh labeled the cramps dans Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> six. So I believe this is a French upload recorded from like what appears to be an iPhone. We're looking at a TV. So let's see what the quality is of this. Oh, that's high quality. <laughs> highest. It isn't. Yes, yeah, so it's like a classic. Oh, it sucks at his. It sucks that they dubbed him in French. But there, there's some sick. He looks great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this is the, maybe the most bizarre context you'd be watching the, the cramps. Uh, yeah. Recorded off French TV, dubbed in French. The fact that it happened makes me happy. That's yeah, a, yeah, yeah no, that's truly amazing. Um, and you, you said they look great. There's a great quote from Poison Ivy that says, uh, there's a myth that rock and roll destroys and has to burn up those who use it. Uh, I think it's a myth perpetuated by non-rock and roll demon forces. The, <laughs> the opposite is true. There's life force energies in the atmosphere you can tap into. It's nothing that comes from us. It goes through us. We don't own it. Ooh, I love God. that shit Wonderful. so much. That's magic. Yeah. That's, That's magic. literal magic. Yeah. Uh, do, were they... I mean, they were using a lot of amphetamines in the the in the past, but were like substances ever like an issue for them, or they, were they just like flow, flown with it? Well, here's the thing: is it, it, like it's always kind of associated like rallying at the band, like partying and stuff. Yeah. But like, there was never one substance that was attributed to them. They, at home, to my knowledge, they stayed sober. The thing that I heard that Ivy would do mm-hmm. in particular to stay sober, what they would do, they put on Hawaiian music, <laughs> <laughs> and listen at home, and like do up, and that's how they would chill. They would just try to get high off of music. Oh Aww. my god! And she talks about it a little bit in the book like how she would approach guitar she would kind of like play she would tend to play like a rhythm guitar and she would try to get like high off the stuff she was playing and not trying to play like the most complex thing that she could play mm-hmm. but play something that's like hypnotic yes and you can just do and what would give her the energy and give yeah. her that that lift that's amazing yeah no they they the band members that they've lost along the way were you know dabbling in heroin and stuff and they obviously mm-hmm. did a bunch of psychedelics in their like young youth but yeah, they're the 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 rare band, honestly, that we've read a book about that didn't have like an addiction narrative at the heart mm-hmm. of it. So shout out to Rhythm Guitar. <laughs> shout, shout out to Rhythm Guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um and so unfortunately, uh Lux passes away in two thousand nine, uh he, from a tear to his aortic wall. Ooh, just from uh from- from rocking too hard? I, I think it's just from, from life. I, I think you're missing the most important part from this. What? Is that uh, he was the lead vocalist for the band in SpongeBob SquarePants yes. in 2002. Yes. We, we didn't talk about that. Yes. Yeah. And the band is wait, called, was this like, wait. Uh, I think the Bird Brains. Bird Brains. Yeah. Yes. Let's see if I can hear a Let's little get SpongeBob this going. Bird Brains. Which this was literally, was was their neighbor, their next door neighbor painted the background like the set the sets yeah he was uh, one of the artists for it I believe. and he was like oh shit you guys are (laughs) next door would you like to come record a song uh okay so 
I think this is going to be it. Underwater Sun yeah. by the Bird Brains. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's Lux. But that also just shows how subversive that show was. Yeah. And a lot of people from that came from Mr. Show with Bob and David. Yeah. yeah. This SpongeBob is like so iconic. The song also Great. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who they they said like actually produced the instrumental because it wasn't Ivy. Yeah, sure. it was someone they basically who, did like for a somebody who's been listening to Ivy for their entire life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's very silly. I saw some. I think it was some like meme account on uh, on Instagram that was doing like a decade wrap up, and it was like the 2010s, and then they put like a bunch of random shit, like trendy shit over the years, and they included SpongeBob. And my knee jerk reaction was to be like, "What the fuck? SpongeBob is like, was that late 90s? Did no, that start? Yeah, I think that started in 99. I'm like, SpongeBob is technically like a 90s, maybe a 2000s yeah. thing. But then I was like, No, Molly, you're wrong. Like SpongeBob is literally like since it has existed it has impacted like multiple generate like gen z is as into spongebob as millennials are like that's kind of wild to me uh before before we go out out of the music thing is there any other track from like the late era stuff that you really like i mean off the stay off the stay sick in particular the first track is a cover it's called bot pills although it's from uh, 1990 in my opinion they they have good songs off of every album, including yeah. like the last album, Fiends of Dope Island. But this just again, I hate to keep I mean, referencing their covers, but this has one of my favorite guitar lines yeah, they, that they, they do. They kill it. I mean, the it's, it's, it's they do seem like one of those bands where you could just put every song that they have in a mega playlist and just let it ride, and you're not going to hear a oh, bad song. Yeah, another one too that's really good off this record is Bikini Girls with Machine Guns. That was sure. the single that was banned off of MTV. Yes, that they, <laughs> well, they kept trying to more. get it on MTV and they were like kept rejecting it and being like, no, let's you need Bikini to like, get rid of this. Too Hot for MTV in yeah. 1991. Well, they had a conspiracy that so, you had to hand over $200,000 to, to MTV get to, get the get the record, to get your video played. This has one of the greatest opening lines ever. I've been a drag racer on LSD, and I've rode bare ass on top of the Sphinx. That is powerful. Yeah, that's some Bo Diddley ass shit. That's some powerful energy. This sounds like it could be on SpongeBob, too. strikes me more than anything is the amount of energy yeah yeah oh yeah they're in the song oh no it's it's extremely like twitchy and nervy you like can't help but like moving toward it and it's interesting also like hearing this progression that now this sounds more like a traditional three-piece with guitar bass doing bass lines and then the, the drum but you know again uh different always different always the same oh yeah there, I was, I was going to say, I feel like you could draw a parallel to your beloved OCs in that every yeah. record that they make is like different but better. Yeah. But like not, but like slightly different. Yeah. Nothing too crazy. They never, you know, they never made their oh, rap no. rock album, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm waiting for the John Dwyer <laughs> rap out, rock album. <laughs> Maybe that can be my, uh, my uh, theoretical 
uh, Baby Mommy album. Call oh, yeah. out John. Uh, call out Fred Durst, John. What are you yeah. waiting for? We were ta- we were joking on Twitter earlier today that uh, every like indie band out now is called like Suburban Mom or like or Little Little, little mommy. mommy, and every uh, like SoundCloud <laughs> rapper. Soccer dad is is, is, is is named like soccerdad.bandcamp. I, I just made that one up, but I'm pretty sure if we Google it, that somebody's yeah. like Mac DeMarco yeah. cover band. And every SoundCloud rapper is like rich baby, uh, uh, you know, Young. little toddler. Yeah. Uh, so I was theorizing that you could bridge this dialectic by creating a new rap indie rap rap hybrid called Baby Mommy, and I think that I should get, I'll get John Dwyer to play guitar for it. Did you say soccer dad or soccer daddy? I so- I, I can't, remember. No, there I can't is a, remember. There is a soccer. There's definitely a soccer mommy. There's. I said well, soccer dad. There's so, there's nothing think, on Bandcamp. So either they're not on. They're not ready. Register for that domain now. Yeah. yeah. Go to the dive for, guys and, and register your Brooklyn band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get the, get the, uh, tap their sacred reverb pedal. Yeah. 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 You got you got to do it. It's illegal. Um. Any any other. Musical morsels. Uh, are you are you closed in your narrative? The, the only the only other like uh, book bit I still want to talk about is like obviously when Lux died, uh, the cramps died. Like yeah. that was the two. The thing was the mm-hmm. two of them. You can't replace him. Um, and I just loved the way near the end of the book they are just talking about their relationship because they and this honestly wasn't even that present in the book itself. Is that they were in a relationship the entire yeah. time? Were they? Did they get? Straight up married? No, they never. They they never. Here's the thing: is they never officially got married. They lived together in the same house. Sure. They had separate phone lines in their house. (laughs) That rocks. Yes. Uh. But they. Yeah. They never. They never married. But they. The reason that they. They never married wasn't because they were like actually in love or it was like a stage thing. It was Mm -hmm. because they did like. The the explanation I saw is they thought that like the legal bounds of marriage wasn't strong enough to like <laughs> represent what their oh my actual re- relationship meant. Those yeah, marriage is this, bu- this is small yeah. potato. Our relationship is too big for blood pack. Yeah. Blood it's like, pack. Do you know what this band means? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Ivy's talking about. Lux, he says, she says, uh, there's not anything we deny each other. We don't feel that either one of us has any right to say anything about the other's needs. We just have to trust that person and what that person is entitled to. We're both real free thinkers. We're nice to each other, but I think it's also karmic. We're karmically entwined. I think that's an interesting attitude toward a relationship, is that if you trust the other person enough, like whatever they need is like, okay, yeah, that's sick. And the way Lux described, this is going to like make me misty, the way Lux described uh, Poison Ivy, uh, in a a way, it's kind of one thing, me and her, but she's also very much an individual and very strong. She grows like a tree. She's faceted like a diamond. There's a million sides to Ivy, and I just love all of them. Um, It's just beautiful. (laughs) That's a beautiful, like, oh my God. So then the real, the real. It's a love story. Joke to this Cramps your love story is that while the phrase bad songs for bad people fully encapsulates the vibe of the Cramps music, they are, in the end, a nice band of nice people. <laughs> yes, they're very sweet and very yeah. genuine people. Who are like care very deeply and are very serious about their music, but still like think it is fun and literally life-giving to them. And, yeah. Uh, you know, spent a long time being overlooked by their peers and having never... and all the time, never for a second doubting what they're doing yeah, or feeling like there was any option to even stop. Like they just would 
like three, you you never mentioned any part where it was like, oh, can we keep this going? It's like, no, we just we will keep we will keep being the cramps and doing the cramps. It's just a matter of like what we have to do to make it keep going. And they said they they never were like, oh, we're gonna get rich off this or famous off this. Like that was never the point. It was just how long can we keep yep. making music? Yeah, together. yeah. They never wanted to be a cult band either. To that end, they were yes. they were just like. They thought the natural end of doing a rock and roll band is that a lot of people would love it, yeah. but they didn't <laughs> think that necessarily we're going to be Elvis rich off of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting because it's like the thing about you don't want to be like a cult band or something. It's like if you do it for long enough, you kind of there's no choice but to yeah. be. I mean, the cramps are obviously good at what they do, but even if you kind of suck at something, if you put out f- like 40 albums over 40 years somebody is going to find it and just appreciate your insanity. Yeah. Like even if it the objectively, yeah, it, totally. the, the music is objectively shit. The, the commitment to it will inspire enough fans that you will become a cult band. I mean, I'm just musing on that idea of, of not wanting to be a cult band, not specifically. Oh to yeah, the no, 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 totally. Mm. The whole, whole reason I said that too, is he, he goes on this uh, a rant and a couple separate interviews in his profile in the book where he's like, yeah, that's never my, my goal for the band, and he took it. At, I think IRS put out press. He mentions it where he took it as an insult. Where like, yeah, that this this the new, cult hit band. The, yeah, there's this new cult wave, new wave band who <laughs> just recorded their album in Nashville. He's like, we recorded it in Memphis. It's some <laughs> well, I, new new wave is I so mean, good. Just like the camp thing, I could get very very much get why Lux would not want to hear would bristle at those terms being being shot around. But then it's like you you kind of have to be when you're when you've been doing one thing so well for so long, like that's is just what is going to happen around you. You're going to find your people, but and they're going to become passionate about you. But if you describe it that way or like your record label, then you're self-limiting and they yeah, were, were like, exactly. we're so much bigger than like, why would we d- like mm-hmm. define ourselves by the smallness, by smallness of an of audience yeah, when exactly. we should be, I mean, we could be the biggest thing in the world because like, Rock and roll music is good, and everyone they, should like it. Did they ever go to Japan? I feel like they, it oh, would yeah. be one of those bands that like goes to Japan and like you know we're pay, playing three hundred person rooms in America, but in Japan we do like two thousand person rooms or something. Oh yeah, they played Japan. They t- they talk about in the book to, uh, too. They were like huge in France. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, they were. Why that, yeah, that nine hundred two one zero clip was like <laughs> like Sun Ra. Uh, they are were definitely more appreciated in Europe than in America. <laughs> Sun Ra too is like a whole other thing. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever watched Space is the Place? No. We should watch that movie too. We it's, gotta do like a full movie series. Oh, it's yeah, we do. Um, and movies are so much, you know, faster to read than books. Wait, this is another tragedy. Before we get off this, uh it's there was never a Cramps B movie. There was never a Cramps yes, exploitation film. Yes. That would have been great. You know who did this? You probably know about this. The Guitar Wolf movie? Uh no. Okay, there's this band Guitar Wolf. Yeah, yeah, totally. uh, Okay. Molly, do you know Guitar Wolf? I don't. I don't. There's this band Guitar Wolf that's basically <laughs> J- Japanese. They played together too. Yeah. Uh, Japanese Ramones. Got it. Uh, just like stripped down, like like real simple, uh, fast punk songs. Yeah. It, it very. It's uh, they, the way they dress themselves, the way they style themselves. It's very like self consciously Japanese Ramones. Yes. But they made a movie that is like the what the Cramps movie would be. That it is just like the members of Guitar Wolf fighting extremely B movie zombies and like making people's heads explode with the power of rock oh music. God, I have to watch Great. that. Uh, it, it rocks more, um, more bands and more musicians should play themselves in, in otherwise yeah. fictional. Like there should be more spice world basically. Yes, totally. Bring or, that all back. For it. Yeah. Like 
I mean, oh, I every, saw that in theaters. Confession. Me yeah. too. It's me good. Too. It's a good. It's yeah. a fun movie. But it's because people are so afraid of like truly being goofy. Like, there's not a lot of like goofiness right now. Yeah. Like, especially investing that much money in it too. Potentially, I feel like maybe people aren't aren't that into it. But like, yeah, that. Oh. I'm like trying to even think about who would be on that level. To Harry do Styles. Like, yeah, like, let's get Billie Eilish in a few movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know who? Maybe Billie Eilish would, could in a Hawaii well, movie. That's what could, I want. She could end up being. Like a weird horror auteur, I could like the aesthetic of her music videos. I, I could, could totally see honestly that. see Post Malone doing. That. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, yeah. being in like a Harold and Kumar type <laughs> yeah, of yeah, like exactly. weird stoner caper. Oh man, All right. We're and directed write- and produced <laughs> yes, by yes. Post Malone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do. Uh, which is Casey. Crank that post. Crank, <laughs> yeah. So is it blast post? Just blast, yeah. We're blast just going to listen. We're going to listen to congratulations thirty times, Casey. You asked me to set up a guitar for you. Oh, yeah, I did. So what would you like to show us on guitar? Oh, uh, what I was going to show you was just the kind of the similarities between more of the traditional blues that was coming out in the 80s versus like the cramps, like when they were doing like covering like Can't Hardly. I would love to hear We would love to hear some of that. Yes. Give it a shot. So in the 80s, like all the dad blues and stuff that you would think, and I I hate to even use that term because I think of it as kind of disrespectful because I still (laughs) enjoy some of this stuff. But there is definitely a parallel in the actual guitar playing of Poison Ivy to all the stuff that was widely accepted. Yeah. And like in terms of what was financially rewarded on a mainstream level. No, I like the term that you used to describe like Stevie Ray Vaughan style stuff, which we would definitely today, again, if we're to be pejorative, call like dinosaur rock or, or something like that. That I like that he was a, a his, historically his, yeah. looking like player, he, athletic and historical. I believe yes. were the two terms that you yeah, used. I'm like, book. yes, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, yeah, because like, if, for example, you take like Pride and Joy, which was like the the pinnacle of it was the dad blues hit of the eighties. <laughs> then you have like can't can't hardly stand it by the Cramps. And which is cover, but the whole the whole breakdown of that, the real heavy part is. So they're like very similar, very length, and it yeah. makes you wonder, like how this hasn't bubbled up to that level too, especially with the explosion of female guitarists. Cause that is the mm-hmm. leading demographic of new guitar players that mm-hmm. are coming into the market are all female guitar players. And you don't really have this, this guitar hero like yeah. Yeah, yeah. on that level. Can and, we hear, can we hear just real quick, uh, pride and joy at right back and back with the two, so <laughs> yeah. two licks, a B and, and we'll, yeah. We'll yeah. So, That's Pride and Joy, mm-hmm. and then you have Can't Hardly Stand It. And you're so right that the the you know dinosaur rock dad blues or whatever then trickled that guitar hero went from like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, and then it went to like John Mayer. Oh yeah. But so there's no, like there's no inheritance of that because it's been cut off at the fucking head. Yeah. No, that's so annoying. Yeah, No, it's, it's super annoying. And people, and cause there's this other, other side of that where it's this. 
Yeah. Like the yeah. whole like shred blue stuff. Yeah. Which is cool. And there's like a whole context to that where you have Freddie King, you have the, like the three uh, kings of blues guitar and all that stuff. Um, and that's totally relevant, but it cuts out like the whole less is more. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thing. Right. And I think the, which is hella effective. Yeah. And I think to, to the, 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 the last thing here that I didn't realize is that she was the production guru behind the yeah. things because so like the athleticism that you were talking about earlier, the thing that celebrated of just like the shredding solos and stuff, uh, which is very visible and you can see versus how her role might have been more taking the thing and making a whole sonic gestalt out of it, like forming it all into a single sound. So instead of like wailing solos in cramp songs, you have the incredibly distinctive tone of, of oh, a cramp song. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Th- that's one of the things she doesn't get credit for as much as just how good she was at crafting tones. You can talk about Link Ray and all this stuff. She could play everything that pretty much Link Ray yeah, yeah. ever mm-hmm. played. Um, but the, her thing was that the tones that she got out and like, not that Link Ray didn't have a great tone. Of oh, course yeah. he did. He had a very stark and just, just hitting tone. But, um, what she was able to do, especially with fuzz, which mm-hmm. ironically, the pedal, the the super fuzz they bought was bought for Lux Interior. <laughs> she, was, she was not even supposed to play guitar in the original idea of the cramps, but they were like, well, I grew up playing guitar. Why am I not playing guitar? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, the the take, the main takeaway from this is like justice for, for Poison Ivy. Yeah, justice for Poison. Because, yeah, she should have a giant billboard oh. in every guitar sales Oh yeah, no, yeah. Why is she location. not in the window of the, of the guitar center yeah. by Barclays? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bull, bullshit. Um, well, yeah, that's that's the book. Very, very thorough. Very well researched. I feel like we journeyed. How was it as a? Uh, I mean, was it very informative? But how was it as a as a book? As it a was good. I mean, I think the you know Dick Porter let the let the quotes shine. You know, mm-hmm. like I there mean, was there wasn't a lot of there was some good like descriptions of the the songs itself and the albums themselves, but. Uh, I mean, the both Lux and Ivy just gave such good copy. Like, it really... <laughs> so it's just sorting the, everything out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, let's, let's just find a chronology to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on the cramps, Casey? They're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, th- thank you for, for introducing, literally introducing them to, to me and us. Uh, f- helping me flush them out in my appreciation of their whole thing. Yes. Uh and with that, let's move uh, confidently into the end part of this episode. Uh, yes? And Well, anything you want to plug uh, related to the advertisers? Oh, or Oh, yes. Uh, my band is called The Advertisers. You can find us uh, if you're on the Instagrams at The Advertisers NYC. Uh, alternately, you can find us on YouTube at that same thing, The Advertisers NYC, and you can watch our uh, two live video EPs there, or you can find us on Spotify Ooh. or anything like that. Uh, we just we went- saw The Advertisers. Uh, last Thursday. Thursday, so good. It was it rocked. Yeah, really fucking rocked. If you want, if you're in NYC and you uh like, a just support them because you're listening to this podcast now. And we're telling them, telling you to. You must and you must obey. Must. Um, I'm Marky Smith, look, making you look in the mirror, saying, "Look, look at, at yourself. yourself. Just look at yourself. Who are you listening now, to? Go to an advertiser show. Yeah. Uh, B because it was just a great uh, night out. We saw them at what the fuck is that place's name? Carmelo's. Carmelo's. It was great. We had a good time. Uh, a bunch of rowdy bands. The scene was punk as hell. Uh, Casey won't say this for himself, but he fucking shreds so good at guitar. Give us just give just give us a little <laughs> fucking just, just give us a taste of that. Uh, 
So it's like that Holy with shit. like a, a hot female vocalist over like really hard pounding blues Tequila rock Tequila flying yeah. through the air. Oh yeah, Molly was moshing in the front when was just literally handed a bottle of tequila. I think it was spo- was the show sponsored. Uh, I, well, yeah, we work uh, with spawn? this one. <laughs> we work with this one mezcal company, Illegal Mezcal. Yeah, and they'll help us out with that. I think I think that's what I ended up in in my mouth and all over my it, body. Yeah, covered was, with that sweet. It was tequila. awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, <laughs> like I'm honestly. I, at the end of the day, I'm never, I'm never going to say no to that. Yeah, so. I, I did not get tequila wet, but I, I was <laughs> doing shots back at the bar. Yeah, that's kind of our stage move is just waterboarding people. It's yeah, so yeah, good. It's very. I mean, it's tail like these. These are time worn traditions that I think are very effective. Um, we will put a, a link to some aver- places you can find the advertisers in show notes. notes. Uh, but until then, you can follow us on Twitter at and IntroPod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail uh, new new emails this week, not because people haven't sent them, but because we haven't looked. Check them. Uh, but we will soon. Uh, and our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash. pod. Remember to like us on iTunes. And while you're there, you should rate and review us, too. But only like if you're really going to be positive. Only positive vibes yeah. at the iTunes page. Tap into that positive energy that oh, kept the cramps uh, wait, so young and fresh. We got a new review on iTunes recently that Uh-oh. I thought was funny. Uh, Every time you say we guys, Has anyone one? ever told you you're good at this? Oh, thank you. Thanks. We try. It, we, it really is just something we do because we, we enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and it's good it's to have, a, you know, uh, little bits. Little bits and little projects. Uh, somebody... Uh, reviewed us saying that these guys are great. These guys uh, know their stuff really well. Um, I, my eye is raised that they are uh, their their praise for uh, known creep and poseur James Murphy. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, I will forgive them that and continue listening. Chris is a big that. LCD stan. Uh, uh, I'm a big LCD fan. Well, look, if you will forgive me my my enjoy my enjoyment of uh, the songs of LCD soundism, I will permit you to continue listening to the show. Uh, James Murphy's like he's like a wine creep. You he's know like what a I wine mean? creep. He just like he's he like one of those wine. threads that you see on Twitter every once in a while. That's like at age thirty, you have to ch- every male has to choose their their specialization, and you <laughs> either get to be like a car guy IPA, or a wine guy yeah. or a beer guy, yeah, an outdoor guy or something, yeah, fishing, yeah. Uh, anyway, where was I in the ending patter? The uh, reviewing of the, the... And as always, just tell a friend. Yes. Shady's back. Tell a friend. Uh, and until then, we'll be back with you in another two weeks here on And Introducing. Introducing.